Hello, everyone. Welcome to C-Suite Talks, a podcast that takes you inside some of the most interesting business and industries today, explores career success and how we can make a difference. We invite you to join us on this journey. Welcome to C-Suite Talks. I'm Diane Gubin. And I'm Beth Hilbing. And this week, we are speaking with Alexandra Dumas, a Google account executive, angel investor, C-Suite board member, we love Alex, and an all-around rising star in the LA professional community. Oh, we're so happy to have you. <laughs> so welcome, Alex. Yay! Thank you, Beth and Diane. It is my honor to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I would be more than happy to. Um, in terms of my background, uh, I'm actually a Midwestern girl from the Detroit area. I studied business at Washington University in St. Louis, where I got my BSBA, and I interned for two summers, undergrad at Google, first in Chicago and then in New York. My junior year, I also did an international study abroad program in London and worked with Jimmy Choo. Oh, wow. Wow. Did you get good shoes? Uh, you know what? That's actually the one thing I felt so cheated out of. They are built for very narrow feet. And oh. all of the sizes, I couldn't actually put my wide feet in there. So I just like, you know, you need to you need to design for all. Um, right, exactly. <laughs> so talk about making a difference. I mean, truly, interning at Jimmy Choo, that's exciting. It was, you know, because studying uh, fashion at one point is absolutely a, a passion of mine. Um, and also during college, I had participated and won multiple case study competitions and grants for fashion business plan development. And I thought that that was actually my trajectory. So after college, I combined my digital experience with Google and my fashion just to do marketing strategy for Macy's.com, where I worked for three years uh, before joining Google full time. Um, and then once I transitioned, um, I basically spent my time consulting with our largest retail advertising clients. And finally, I moved to LA in 2014, excuse me, in 2015 to support our media entertainment vertical. So I work with our theatrical studio partners and I help them successfully promote uh, and open their new films, um, which was really fun during COVID because we had to pivot the business model completely <laughs> right. from theatrical to direct to consumer. Um, so that was really fun. Uh, so that's a little bit about my my background and what I do at Google. Uh, and then also outside of Google, uh, as you mentioned, I'm also an angel investor and a startup advisor. I'm a member of Tech Coast Angels Los Angeles, which is one of the nation's largest angel investor uh, cohorts in the country. And um, in addition to wearing both my, we'll call it Google hat and my angel wings, um, I've also been con consulting independently, all things go to market digital strategy, business development, and then sit on three boards, uh, Women in Tech Hollywood, the LAX Coastal Chamber of Commerce, and then closest to my heart, C-Suite. <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> best for last, but it is the best. Alex, to piggyback off something you said, you talked about how your marketing strategy at Google had changed during COVID. And I was curious, now that everybody went to streaming and, and you know, releasing movies, streaming and everything, and they are back in the theater, but do you feel the companies will shift or they're going to have to do both? That's a wonderful question, Beth, because I think that COVID ushered in such a rate of change and transformation that was... Yes, it was accelerated by COVID, but I do think that it is going to be sustained now that these old models of doing business have been tested and we have successfully pivoted away from them. So 
I'd say, you know, you know, taking a step back when we had COVID, we had a couple issues. We had both from a distribution issue because there was the theatrical shutdown. And then we also had a content issue because with the labor shutdowns that also had a content shortage. Um, and then there was just um, a vacuum um, because live events and sports, which really is, is so much of where the media dollars go, was just completely dark for most of the year. So what we saw to your point is that we saw these theatrical studios start pivoting to either direct-to-consumer distribution or new partnerships with streamers like Netflix or Amazon to license their content. And I do think that this trend is gonna continue because consumers now expect greater choice on how they consume content and this old and set kind of theatrical exhibitor partnership model which had been in place for decades really um or is being rewritten it was really okay. forced um so i think that 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 is definitely something that's being relooked um and then i also think what's really interesting too is that we are going to see a change from a content strategy standpoint instead of studios exclusively being the gatekeepers we now have greater choice with more players coming into the field like Netflix, like Hulu. And so from a content standpoint, I think that there are going to be greater alliances direct with, you know, certain producers or certain directors. And the content that we've seen itself has actually shifted. Um, we're seeing a lot of more mission-driven content, a lot of content that reflects um, the realities of today, whether it be diversity, whether it be inclusion, um, or even just feel-good content that seems to be coming out. So really interesting to kind of see how things have been changing and evolving. Yeah, that was very interesting. It sounds like you're doing really amazing stuff at your clients and entertainment is certainly so pervasive, especially with this, uh, with COVID, you know, we spend more, I've never binge watched TV like I've done this year, <laughs> ever. And it just pisses me off when my favorite shows don't have a different ending or they're cut and I need another season. But anyway, let's talk, let's talk about you and Google. Okay. So here, here you are at Google. Gosh, you've been there for, you know, eight years on a FTE basis. And then you were an intern. You started your career there two years. Um, and Google is always known as just one of those top places to work. So, um, what sets the Google culture apart and what does it take for somebody to, to get into Google first? And how do you thrive at Google? I love that question. Um, I would say when we get interviewed, yes, we check for things like general cognitive ability and leadership and other qualities. But one thing that's very unique is that we, we actually have a, a, a box called Googliness. And it's this intangible oh, wow. concept. It's, it's, it's literally there on our evaluations. It's a Googliness score. And it's it's weird. It's very intangible, but it's it's um it's a culture forward company and mission. And I would say the best way to kind of encapsulate that is that in our Google Code of Conduct, one of the phrases that I love is "Don't be evil." Uh, we even have a bear of it that's there. It's there. It's just, you know, act with integrity, be a good person. And I think that, you know, every person who interviews for Google has to be able to abide by that code of conduct and also bring some other unique flavor of their own to create an office that's diverse enough for us as employees to be interested and inspired by our colleagues. I think one of the best things about working at Google are the people. You keep hearing that over and over again, and it's really that emphasis on bringing not only the best and brightest minds, but also people who 
maybe were former Olympians or had run for office or business. I mean, it, it's just remarkable what I learn about my colleagues. Um, and it makes me so much more rich um, for, for knowing them. Wow. So, so if you bring in someone from politics or from sports, like, do they have to apply the traditional way or somebody like you, Alex goes, you know, I have this buddy and she's a, you know, a a gymnast and, you know, she's been in the Olympics. Do you create a spot for somebody like that? And what kind of spot do you create for somebody in a digital company? The thing that I have to say at Google is that the possibilities are endless. There are more jobs at Google than I ever thought could be existed. For instance, have you ever heard of an experience designer where someone designs what smells go into the room (laughs) to affect a certain mood? We have those at Google. It's crazy. So I, I can't give you a straight answer, but I'm sure that if there is a need and if there is value, we will find a way of creating it. And it's one of those companies where you can certainly carve your own path and there is no one set way to get there. When you talk to people about their career pivots and progressions, no one story is no two stories are the same everyone has found their different path and pathway whether it's an internal referral whether it's a speaking engagement that then manifests into something full-time an internship a chance encounter here or a formal application and then within there pivoting into the company um it's just it's magical um i would say state and intention have a hope, leverage your connections, and the possibilities are endless. I love it. And it sounds like such a fun place to work, too. When Diane and I visited you and we had lunch and we were planning our C-suite event there in Venice Beach, I was just impressed with the quality of the workspace and the attention to the employees and making sure they had all those little goodies they needed to keep themselves you know, engaged for work. And so that's probably your engagement manager there you spoke about, but that really helps employees versus, you know, going into these older uh, bureaucracy kind of companies where you're just in there to work and leave, right? So it's a totally different experience. But Google has made a name for themselves with all the work that they've done with um, DE&I. And so tell me a little bit about what Google does in that area and how you, as a black woman, have benefited from that or have aided them in their endeavors there. Right. And then we've got belonging. It's diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging now. So, so, so if, we, if, we, if, if we add that in, what does that look like at Google? That's a great question, and this will be a a relatively long answer. So I'd say, taking a step back, Google has a variety of resources, programs, initiatives, and I'll give you a flavor of some of them. First and foremost that comes to mind are our ERGs, or Employee Resource Groups, which are employee-initiated networks that support underrepresented employees and their allies with shared values of promoting diversity and inclusion. So these may be the Black Googlers Network, the Ola Association, which is our Hispanic group, Indians at Google, the breadwinning women at Google, where the uh, women are the priority, or excuse me, the, 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 um, the, the breadwinners for the family. Um, there's a, a litany of, of employee resource groups. And I personally uh, co-founded the Los Angeles chapter of the Black Googlers Network and have since been the co-lead now for the past five years before passing the baton this past year. Good job. 
<laughs> Thank you. It's it's one of those things that's been incredibly rewarding um, because it really does, to your point, allow me to have a more tangible and direct influence in terms of creating that community here. Um, and then, you know, taking a step back, there's so many other initiatives that we have from health benefits and mat leave. I mean, this is something that I'm thinking about, but Google covers a great deal of the cost around freezing our eggs so that as a woman, I can delay having children and advance my career. I know that I'll get a considerable amount of mat leave and a baby bonus so that I can help you know, with the expenses that new families encounter. And as I return, I could also get 50% time as I ramp up to get back into the workplace. We also offer paid therapy and meditation services to offer mental health to everyone. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, which is wonderful because, you know, there are certain, you know, stigmas that oftentimes come with that. Um, and I would say, especially over these past two years, there is a lot of reconciliation around kind of the, the social unrest and kind of cultural awakening and awareness. And so that certainly um, came into play a lot. Um, we have pay time off for uh, carers leave and family support so that we can support our loved ones, especially if we're in the sandwich generation who are taking care of both you know, parents and children, um, so that if one of them falls ill, we get paid time off outside of vacation to care for their needs. Oh, that's very important. Right? Wow. Yeah. So those are all of the things that I, I feel so grateful for. And then, you know, above and beyond that, you know, there are little bits that, of how we just incorporate that into our culture. So small things like inclusion moments, which are inclusion focused discussions that we help that we hold on a regular cadence during team meetings or larger kind of vertical wide sessions. Um, and they range from educational to personal discovery. Awareness is sensitive, but it's really designed to help people connect, educate, and empower one another um, to really foster that environment. Um, our training resources are incredible around unconscious bias, the history of race, how to be an ally in action, uh, how to set a team culture, and we also have made really strong commitments to, from a recruitment and retention standpoint, um, for you know certain minority groups or underrepresented mm -hmm. communities, mentorship programs, um, and then we also hold special spaces for these communities, like offsites where we'll invite all of our Black Plus sales Googlers together. Now, this was pre-COVID that I'm speaking, but all of these <laughs> <laughs> were, were wonderful ways oh, in which yeah, I felt supported. Sure. Yeah, as Beth said, we, we want to hold we want to hold an all inclusion event, but we're just going to do it at a spa. Sign me up. Sign everyone yeah, up. Everybody in their bathrobe. That'll love yes, the exactly, field. exactly. So, so, so continuing this because it sounds so inclusive, and it sounds like really Google embraces all employees, which is just so. Um, does do belonging that we just talked about. But there's an annual diversity report from Google that shows that black females have some of the highest attrition rates of any intersection at the company. So as a black and a female in technology, where there aren't a lot of females anyway, um, what may be some of the underlying challenges you and uh, those in, in either Google or the larger community uniquely face that um, maybe others aren't aware of? 
This is probably my favorite question that you've asked me thus far. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to seek that because no, Google's wonderful and I love working there. I wouldn't have worked there for eight years if I didn't feel like it was a wonderful company. However, you know, there are, there are some challenges that we are certainly working through and you are absolutely correct. Um, you know, I would tell you that if you can see it, you can achieve it. And let's look at our senior leadership there is a lack of representation there. If you look at most of our hiring efforts, it's mostly for entry level. And I frankly don't see the progression to be necessarily on par um, with that of, of, other, um, <clears throat> of other communities. And I would say that you know, that, that makes it uniquely challenging, you know, because because that clearly that is a reality, that there is work to be done. And I know that Google is trying to initiate certain programs to close that gap, but taking this a step further into just my reality and kind of how I think about things and, and my challenges, I think to a certain degree, I mean, Firstly, intersectionality carries a tax. We all understand that as a female, we have challenges in the workplace where you know, we're either spoken over or we'll have the same ideas as our male counterparts and they'll come in and they'll see that. That's great. As a black person, there's also certain unconscious bias or stigmas in which I'm aware of and I actively work to mitigate. For instance, um, one thing is making sure that I am uh, the stereotype of angry black woman is so pervasive and it shouldn't be necessary and it's not something that I'm actively encountering but it is something that I think we think about and how to ch change our mannerisms to make sure that we're not coming across as such and I guess where I'm getting at this is that there's just a lot of there's a lot of mental tax it, for lack of a better word um that comes with just carrying so many different intersectionalities and also an, in, an element of um, imposter syndrome. Because again, you don't see those people who look like you in these places, you naturally look around and say, do I deserve to be here? Do I you know, have the seat at the table? And that's when I come in and say, darn right, Alex, pull up oh a chair and have the table. Yes. But those, but those thoughts come through constantly. From the outside, I would only assume that you do <laughs> deserve a spot at the table and you should be at that table. And it makes such a difference to have, especially you personally, Alex, at that table because you carry everybody with you. I mean, I think Diane and I, we've had the, we've had the circumstances where we've been the only woman. Oh, many times. <laughs> many times. And I still have that today. I mean, I still see that today. But I had never heard about the angry black female until I was watching the Housewives from New York. And she was talking about it. And I never even knew that was an issue. So I, I was glad to have, be made aware of that. So now I'm very sensitive to that too. So that's good. Right. And you know what, Beth, one thing that you said too, it's, it's there, it's sometimes it's our own limiting beliefs, right? I mean, you may right. not be aware of, so many people may not be aware of that, but it's something that we may have been raised or taught, you know, oh, you have, you may be perceived as such. So in order to not be, in order to achieve this, you must, you know, and so it's unlearning right. some of these you know, narratives that we either have told ourselves or have been taught by a different generation 
action um, and just unburdening ourselves with those limiting beliefs, which I think is really, really beneficial. Right. And I think a key issue here is some of the wealth inequalities. We already know within our society they exist. But then the question is, how do you even figure out that they exist in such a company as large as Google? Just as an example, it could be any large, it could be Boeing, it could be any large company. How do you know that you're paid appropriately for what you do and how do you, and, and that you're not passed over for promotions or, or positions that you should be you know, promoted to? Do they show stats, stats and statistics to you guys at Google about how many people are promoted, diversity metrics and all that? Okay. We do have those metrics and we do see that. And I do think that it's certainly getting better. Um, I would say, I, I mean, I don't know how to say it. I, our, our, our annual review and the diversity report and these scores basically speak to that intangible sentiment. I mean, there's something that you can do with numbers that's quantitative, and then there's this kind of intangible, and that's where I think that sentiment falls. So yes, we are transparent. Yes, we're visible in terms of how many people were promoted, what our average salary bands are at a certain level, X, Y, and Z. But so much of that promotion is dependent on achieving certain goals or OKRs and whether or not management has set that fairly or sponsored someone to be able to achieve that. I think that that's where some of the sentiments may get, may, may be felt. Okay, gotcha. Hey, so I'm going to switch off D, E, and I, and B. <laughs> so, so your work in the startup community and, you know, tell us a little bit about that. And then what's your long-term vision for yourself? Yeah. And how did you become an angel investor? You're right. Exactly. Um, yeah, that sounds great. So let's see. Well, I love to learn. Um, and I love making connections. And so naturally, I was drawn to angel investing and advising because these founders are so bright and so scrappy, and they are creating, they're, they're driving innovation across all sectors, and that's really where I want to be. So I felt as though really aligning myself with those businesses and finding a way to evangelize them just felt like a natural calling and also appealed to my desire to learn and grow. And so I joined this angel investing cohort to get experience across these new industries and to make these connections. And it's been wonderful because I really enjoy working with the C-level execs on, you know, setting their corporate strategy or working with my fellow angels on, you know, executing due diligence. And it allows me to have a really tangible impact and create value, not only hopefully for me and going back to the wealth, um, that Mm -hmm. that would be a great bonus, Um, but also, you know, for the wider community to bring products or ideas to market that will help. um, And that also will help, you know, these business owners. Right. And all in the tech space? Because I think you're interested in healthcare biotech or something else too. Oh, so my investment thesis is actually more so on the consumer products and media entertainment. Although most, uh, so through our angel investing cohort, we uh, source deal flow. And just naturally, I think because of the Southern California location, it's very interesting. A lot of the startups that I have seen pitches for have fallen in the kind of biotech medical area, not a hundred percent, but some of them, which is why at dinner the other day, I was saying, Hey, I don't understand any of these 
these terms. I need someone to debrief <laughs> me. So that was kind of my aside. But no, we, we see, I mean, pitches from everything. I'm leading due diligence right now on, um, you know, one one that's kind of an, an intermittent fasting with a kind of uh, unique um cannabinoid. Another one is a uh, sports media AI um, tech. Another one is um, a unique, I really love it. It's a vegan leather tote bag that's insulated almost like a Yeti. So you can kind of bring it to work like a lunchbox or, you know, store your breast milk if you're, you know, mom pumping. So it's a variety of different businesses. And I just think they're so cool. I love it. That is cool. Very, very, very cool. You know, you have a lot of life change right now. You know, you are just working through a separation with your partner. You're looking for a new abode or home. And you're looking to continue all these different um, areas you have with your career at Google and then with your entrepreneurship. So how do you balance all of that as a young emerging leader, rising star? Oh, absolutely a rising star. (laughs) Yeah. How do you manage all that? Because I'm sure our other listeners would love to know. I don't know how well I'm managing it. (laughs) I have my moments and I so thank you for saying that. Um, I mean, I know I'm, I'm driven and I, I have a vision for myself, my future. And I know that it's going to take work to get there. And sometimes I think, you know, you just have to, to hustle through, um, some, some challenging times. And right now, to your point, this certainly is a lot. Um, and right now my, I'm just trying to have compassion, um, for myself, for those around me, um, and trying to take things, frankly, one day at a time. Um, and knowing that I am working towards this North Star goal, which ultimately will be for my benefit and happiness. So I wish I could have something a little bit more prescriptive. Um, like I said, I, I, I was looking myself in the mirror today and I was like, oh, you don't look so good. You know, you just lost like eight pounds over the past two weeks. I don't know. You should, you should eat. But, you know, I'm, 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 have, I'm working it out. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was thinking I need to do, yeah, I need to do what you're doing because get rid of my double chin. But <laughs> we all went eight pounds over two weeks. So listen, <laughs> the way you got there. <laughs> I don't recommend this. <laughs> right, right, right. But we're good. So listen, let's talk about fun stuff. You, you spent five months in Hawaii. What'd you do during Hawaii? What well, you were there. Tell us what you did there. Uh, yes, that was, that was fun. And that is a time that I will certainly look back on, um, I was very fortunate to spend time there. And during that time, one of the things that I've always wanted to do was get scuba certified. And I finally had enough time to do that. So I am new basic open water certified. I can't wait to get my new certifications, but did you buy a wetsuit? (laughs) Not yet. Um, I'm going to have to unfortunately put that on the list after, you know, (laughs) the apartment and the new furniture, but it is definitely on the radar. Um, and it's something that I can't wait to do and be able to open myself up to new adventures and new opportunities once things kind of get back to normal. So we really will have to have that tropical destination for C-Suite. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, we really appreciated having Alex with us today. Um, so reach out to her on social media, etc. She's been a godsend to us with Google for C-Suite and sponsoring us since, uh, since the beginning four years ago. So we want to thank our sponsors, Google, obviously. And we have a face behind Google, which is so fabulous, too. Yeah, which is great. 
And then Converge Technology, who's an IT solutions provider, Manette, which is a huge law firm here in LA and across the country, uh, Woodward Sawyer Employee Benefits, and Amplified Professional Services, ran and CEO none other than Diane Gubin, the co-CEO of C-Suite for IT consulting and search. So thank you for listening today. Yes, thank you for listening. Um, Hit the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, everywhere you find your podcasts. Leave us a good review, please. Uh, Follow us on social media. We're all over LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Oh, gosh, gazillion um, social media places. And we'd love to hear from you. Do send us an email. Actually, why don't you send it to me personally? Diane, D-I-A-N-N-E, double N-D-I-A-N-N-E at C-Suite, C-S-W-E-E-T dot org. And uh, check out our website. And again, that's www.csweetcswet.org. And that's it for today. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much.